they're so busy reacting to day-to-day fires that they don't have a chance to think about what's coming down the pike or how they can address that long haul future or using the word sustainable in its original definition. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 11 of Improv is No Joke podcast. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, and thank you very much for tuning in today. Today's guest is Jennifer Elder, who is a strategic business coach who makes the financially complicated, awesomely simple, and very profitable. Jennifer is a friend and a colleague of mine who I met in 2011 at a thought leader conference that was hosted by the Business Learning Institute. In this interview, you'll hear how we met and about a course that we co-authored called The 8-Hour MBA. Now, full transparency, the idea for The 8-Hour MBA was Jennifer's, and this idea turned out to be a wonderful idea. A funny story about the first time we co-facilitated this course at Marriott International to an audience of 70 people. When we finished, we were talking to our contact, and she asked, Do you have a part two? We looked at each other, smiled, and responded like true entrepreneurs and said, yes, we do. The next day, we began development of a part two version of the course. To date, we have 30 topics that fit into five bundles, or you can customize it to fit your needs. I'll put a link in the show notes to the website that has all the information on the eight-hour MBA. Before we get to the interview with Jennifer, I'd like to share with you a review I received on iTunes from Bar1213. This person wrote, This podcast is great for professional, entrepreneurs, and business owners alike. Peter does a great job linking applicable improvisational techniques to real-life challenges in an informative and entertaining way. I love the interview aspect as well. It's interesting to hear how business leaders have taken what they've learned and applied to their businesses and relationships. Keep up the good work. Hey, R1213, thank you so very much for the review. So if you've been listening to this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take a moment and write a review. It helps the podcast get greater visibility in the iTunes community. And also, if you have not signed up for the SN Challenge, please go to my website, petermargaritas.com, and scroll down to the SN Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the effective habit of yes and and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag YesAndChallenge or on the Accidental Accountant's Facebook page. Now, if you're unsure of what the SN Challenge is all about, please go back and listen to episode zero. This is where I discuss the SN Challenge in greater detail. This week, I'd like to share with you an article from Slate.com titled, Getting to Yes And, How Improv Comedy Skills Became a Must-Have for Entrepreneurs by Seth Stevenson. Seth is interviewing Holly Mandel, founder of the performance school Improvilation, 
where she states, What can improv teach worker bees? The secret is in the yes and ethos. Where when they're collaborating on stage, improv performers never reject another's ideas. They say yes and to accept and build upon each new contribution. It's a total philosophy of creativity. Yes and creates while no stops the flow. That's an important lesson in any business setting that demands cooperation and innovation. Improv also requires excellent listening skills, rewards those who shed their inhibitions and leap into the middle of the group dynamic, and offers valuable lessons about the wisdom of shrugging off setbacks. As I've always said, these are my words, improv is for business. I'll put a link to this article in the show notes. So now that we've got all the housekeeping items completed, let's get to the interview with Jennifer Elder. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Improv is No Joke. Man, I'm really excited today. Uh, my guest today is Jennifer Elder, the sustainable CFO. I've known Jennifer a long time, and I, you know, conversations with her, who knows which direction they're going to go, but guaranteed at the end of it, we're going to walk away with some nuggets. So, Jennifer, I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Thank you so much, and welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Peter. Glad to be here. Jennifer, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, where do we begin? <laughs> Such a twisted career. I guess my career has been around, it, it, I guess you could say it, it's the improvisational career because it started, I uh, originally went to school for fine art, figured I could not support myself with that. So accounting was actually my third career, but it's the one that stuck. And even within that, I have bounced around and tried to take advantage of the opportunities that came my way. So I worked in public accounting for about five years, was the uh, department chair for community college in the accounting department for about seven years, and then was CFO for a variety of companies for about 15 years. And now the latest iteration is as the sustainable CFO. So tell us about the sustainable. Well, actually, before we do that, uh, I met Jennifer five years at a uh, Business Learning Institute Thought Leader Conference. And after talking with Jennifer, our backgrounds were so much alike that we've uh, developed a couple of courses together, uh, primarily a course called the Eight Hour MBA. And working with Jennifer over these years, come to find out that I think she might be my long lost sister because we have a whole lot in common. And actually, um, around my household, we don't call her by Jennifer. I just call her by the office wife. And I am the office husband in her household. So just a little additional background uh, about the, our longstanding five-year relationship. <laughs> so, t so tell me about the sustainable CFO. How did you come about with the name? And, and how are you using that um, to help your clients, to help uh, those businesses that you come in contact with? Well, at the Sustainable CFO, I work with a limited number of smart business leaders who are interested in developing strategies to ensure that their businesses are around for the long haul and that they never have to hear the words going out of business. Yeah, those are words that you really don't want to hear no matter what you're doing and no matter what piece. So how do, how are you um, 
how are you finding your clients? What, 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 where are you able to drive this, this business? Well, a lot of my clients come from presentations that I do, just like you. We go around the country providing training, keynote presentations. And when you talk to people about what keeps them awake at night, a lot of it is the fear that their business is out of control. And they're so busy reacting to -to day-to-day fires that they don't have a chance to think about what's coming down the pike or how they can address that long haul future or using the word sustainable in its original definition of how can you keep doing what you're doing ad infinitum. So just so the audience knows, sustainable CFO has nothing to do about the green initiative. It's about sustaining the business, sustaining the CFO. So I guess another way of saying it, as my CFO audience would probably agree to this, at times as CFO, when things are kind of getting kind of crazy, Um, you might be standing on the ledge going, do we jump or do I jump back in the building? (laughs) That's exactly it. And most CFOs that I know have been on that ledge at some point in time and maybe a little too frequently. And the other issue is that as a CFO, you often don't have a confidant within your company. Because the only other person in the company who is as connected to the business and strategy as you are is your boss, the CEO. And I also work with CEOs and their boss is them. So who do they go talk to when they have questions? As a CEO or a business leader, you really can't pull your staff into the room and say, I got nothing. I'm clueless. What do we do? (laughs) You need somebody to talk through those things that terrify you, and you don't want to terrify your staff. Or your CEO at times, I guess. Yes. I mean, there there will be times where you're both scared about the same thing, and that's a good conversation to have. But as a CEO or a CFO, you're the one that's supposed to be leading from the front. And most people don't want to follow a leader who's going, do I step off the ledge? Do I step back? Do I step sideways? I don't know what to do. What do we? Which way do we go? I don't know. So you're there to help them. Um, as, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, so we got collaboration going on. Collaboration somewhat inside the organization, but you help that collaboration from an outside perspective, bringing everything, the knowledge that you've had over the years as, as CFO, as well as working with your other clients to provide lack of a better term, some therapy for them or some ideas in a way that they can maintain their sanity, keep their business moving forward, and not have that fear of uh, uh, or that panic about them that there is an end solution. Somebody else has kind of dealt with this. Would that be correct in saying? It's twofold. Number one is knowing that you're not there by yourself. Okay. That there is somebody that's there to hold your hand, give you a little confidence. It's also nice to know that someone else has been there, done that, seen that before. Uh, In most cases, the issues that businesses face, uh, they may be unique to you, but they're really not all that unique to business as a whole. And then the second part of being an outside advisor, consultant, or coach is the fact that I'm not wearing the same set of rose-colored glasses that you are. I see things from a slightly different perspective. I don't have that inside view 
that you do. So I look at it from that different perspective. And again, as I mentioned, having a background in fine art, I'm not a true left-brained accountant. So I bring in that whole brain perspective that either makes me a balanced human being or a really unbalanced accountant. (laughs) But it's a slightly different perspective. Um, And I think sometimes having somebody just point out something that you've seen every day of your business life, you don't see it anymore. It becomes a blind spot to Mm -hmm. you. And so that outside person can point those things out to you. Can you give me an example or our audience an example of something that you've recently dealt with? I mean, uh, obviously not mentioned in the client or whatever, but can you cast a, 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 a scenario for us? Oh, one example was a group that I work with that is having issues with their revenue stream, just tightening up of the market. And so they're talking about one offering that they have that is going really well, a set of training sessions for a very specific group. And it's going well, people love it. And I just mentioned to him, I said, why don't you offer it to the next level down? So this training session is for CFOs and executives. And I said, why don't we do it for emerging leaders? Do the same thing you're already doing, but break it down to a lower level of people who are just getting into the leadership. And that triples, quadruples your market. So many more people you could draw from. And it's already something you're doing well. It hadn't occurred to them that they could repeat their success just to a different market. And sometimes that outside pair of eyes sees these things that you don't see that's right in front of you. Well, I mean, that's a very good point because as I was thinking about that, that emerging leader, the millennial, I saw something uh, not too long ago on CNBC that millennials are adding about $2 trillion to the gross domestic product of the United States. That's huge. Huge. And in the month of April, they just became the largest generation in the world. They overtook the baby boomers. Yes, I read that. And I, I, us being baby boomers, I figured now we have to accept second place and, <laughs> and, and, we'll, and we'll never get first back, I guess. <laughs> no, so we're going to have to improvise and adapt. A lot. And a lot, yes, because the millennials are a very different generation from us, but doesn't make it bad, just makes it different. Well said. It just makes it different. And speaking of this this market, and I know that you go around, you do a lot of keynote addresses, and you speak to a lot of uh, of organizations, and that that millennial audience. What would you? What kind of advice would you give them as they, whether uh, they're aspiring to be a CFO or aspiring to be a CEO? What what advice would you give them in order for them to? Um, reach that level? Well, I think one of the things that the millennials need to do, and actually any employee really needs to take a different perspective, that you're not there just to do a job. You're there to make your boss look good. And that means leading up. So if a millennial wants to start moving up the ladder in their organization, 
start figuring out how they can help their boss. Talk to your boss, find out what challenges they have. And in particular, you can ask your boss, what is it that you do that you hate? If you could delegate something, what would it be? And then ask for it. Ask them to delegate to you. But once you've done that, once you've gone for the big ask, you've got to deliver, which means uh, millennials like to do things their way. But when somebody first delegates something to you, do it the way they want it. Then you can make suggestions for improvements. But I think it's really crucial. Millennials bring, a, they are the most well-educated generation in the workplace. So they have a lot of knowledge that they can bring, just not the experience yet. So they can gain experience and make their boss look good by asking to have something delegated to them and then deliver. Under promise, over deliver. So do it sooner than your boss expected it and make sure you you know exactly what your boss thinks is quality. How would your boss define success when you're done with this project? Uh, very good advice. Yes, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. But let me throw a caveat. Let me throw a twist here. Let's take the millennial generation and divide it into two pieces. One, those who are just coming out of college, starting for the first their, their careers for the first time. And those who might be in middle management who've been around for five to seven years. Would that advice change at all to the more seasoned millennial? The more seasoned millennial, the one who's in the middle of their career, the concept is still the same of looking up and seeing what's going on above you. But you may want to look beyond just your boss. You may want to think about what are the goals of your department as a whole and see how you fit in to the strategic goals for your department or the strategic goals for your organization. Part of leading up is figuring out where, what you bring to the table, your strengths can help make your department and your organization stronger. So I'm a real believer, you know, when you talk about strengths and weaknesses, I am not a big fan of saying, let's fix your weaknesses. So give you an example, me, I transpose numbers. I, <laughs> a CPA that transposes numbers. A, yes, I am a handicapped CPA. <laughs> now, you can tell me over and over and over, don't transpose numbers. Don't transpose numbers. That's a weakness. You have to fix it. I, I can't. I've tried. So I can either continue beating my head against the wall and hope I'll get a different result, or I can accept the fact that this is something that I will never change and learn to work with it or work Mm. around it. So for me, when I was a CFO, I always had to have a good, detailed person working with me. My controller had to be that person who could put a spreadsheet together in a nanosecond. I'm not the one you want creating a spreadsheet. However, if you have a problem with a spreadsheet, I'll find it in a nanosecond. I can analyze but I'm not good at putting it together. But it didn't hold me back in my career because I learned to work with it. So I think when anybody, anyone in their career, you've got to figure out what are your strengths 
And how do they add to your organization? Where's that win-win? It's, you know, to quote you, it's yes and. Yes, I'm good at this. And how can I make my organization better as a result? I'm still getting that I've known you for how long? And I'm just now finding out that you transpose numbers. <laughs> it's a closely guarded secret. <laughs> uh, not anymore. Uh, my next question is, did you get a refund this year on your tax return? <laughs> uh, as, as you okay, so I am that really different kind of CPA. I really confuse people when they, you know, when you introduce yourself as a CPA, two things happen. Either one, they... First thing is, oh, you're a CPA. Can I ask you a quick tax question? Yeah. Oh, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> there is no such thing as a quick tax question. And secondly, I confuse the heck out of people because I say, no, because I have a CPA prepare my taxes. Uh, to my audience, uh, those who know me know that I'm ADHD and have dyslexia. Uh, and I think now have to, having listened to uh, Jennifer and the transposition of numbers, lack of detail, this might be a reason why I truly think we might be separated at birth. <laughs> I mean, I was adopted, so who she could literally could be my, my, my sister. Uh, but as you were talking about what they could do, whether you're a seasoned millennial or, or, or coming in um, new to the workforce, uh, a story I want to share that made me, you made me think about this. Uh, one of my courses, uh, we took a break, and one of the, the uh, um, participants, she was walking out, and she goes, I just don't get people. I, I really just don't get people. And I said, are you, uh, are you okay? Tell me what's what's." What's the problem? She said, well, at, our, at my company, we had a position that opened up. And um, normally we would post for that position. However, uh, we had a, the ideal perfect person for the job. So we didn't post for it. We offered the job to this other person. And everybody went crazy because you didn't post it. You're not being fair, yada, yada, yada. And her response was, we we interviewed for this job. We interview you every single day you walk into this organization. And basically the response back to the group was she's been interviewing very well ever since. Perfect person based off of that everyday interview. That's why she got the job. So I've been sharing with my classes and stuff to say every time you walk into your organization, you're being interviewed, whether you know it or not. And bring your A game every single day. Bring your A interview game with you every single day. And that's another piece out there that will help you um, aspire to the level that you want to be because you're on stage. Everybody's watching you. So you reminded me of something that my dad taught me when I first started going to work was that the definition of a professional is somebody that does their best work when they don't want to. So to your point, every day is an interview. And when you're having the worst day of your life, it's still an interview day. Well said. Your dad was a very wise man. <laughs> and the other thing you mentioned in there when you, with your story was you said the, the woman came up to you and said, I just don't get people. Well, there is something we all need to understand is that in the workplace, not only do you have four 
soon to be five. And some people even say five and a half because baby boomers are splitting into two different groups. Uh, So you've got a variety of generations in the workplace and you have a variety of personality styles. And for the most effective leaders have to understand how to adjust themselves, how to improvise, how to switch gears, think on their feet to be able to make a much better connection with somebody. So it's not about let me go to you. So as an accountant, let's be honest, we all tend to be on the introverted uh, analytic side. We like our facts. We like our figures. We want to state them and be done with it. However, if you have to talk with somebody in the sales department, yeah, they hate you because they hate facts and figures. So they're not going to hear anything you have to say unless you approach it from their perspective. So for any leader, we have to understand those different personality styles, whether you're thinking about it from Myers-Briggs or DISC or any of the other ways of analyzing personalities. But understand people have different communication styles. And if you want to be heard, you have to adapt your style to theirs. When you're working with your clients, I'm going to make an assumption that this is part of the conversation that you're having with them. Uh, this adaptability and pers- uh, and dealing with different types of personality styles. Absolutely, because I, I can't say I've ever been at or worked with any business that didn't have high-performing staff that were butting heads with each other. And the leaders are looking at it and saying, I, I've, these guys have to stop screaming at each other. I can't let one go over the other. They're mm-hmm. both high-performers. But they need to learn to work together. Right. Which leads me down this, this path that I've been asking my, uh, a lot of my classes these days is, what business are you in? And, and they look at me like, okay, this is a trick question because I'm an accountant. I'm in either tax, audit. I'm a CFO. Uh, my products, I go, no, no, that's a byproduct. What business are you truly in? And, and then they get that Scooby-Doo look. I don't, I don't understand. And oh, you're in the people business, first and foremost. Without people, you have no staff. Without people, you have no clients and customers. And this actually goes back to uh, uh, Peter Drucker and his management style. It's, it's in, his, in his theories, uh, we work with people every single day. That's the business I, we're in, first and foremost. Um, the more we bring good people around us, the more we train them, the more we support them, uh, the more that they're willing to come in at 100% every single day. So how do we treat our people? Uh, do we treat our external customer just like we treat our internal customer? And at Victoria's Secret Catalog, back in the day, we treated both of them the exact same way. Exactly. Yeah, the good customers... You don't get good customer service unless you demonstrate good service to your customer service people. So you have to support them in order for them to support your customers. Part of part of learning to support them is understand that no two employees are identical. (laughs) There are different ways of motivating them, different ways of lighting a fire under somebody different ways of training, different things that they value. 
But for regardless of generation or personality style, there is one consistency or two consistencies, actually, that everybody wants. Everybody wants to add value. They want to bring something to the table and add value to the organization and to the world as a whole. We just we want to do something good. And then the second thing is that employees want to be rewarded for bringing value to the table. They want to be rewarded fairly. Now, fairly is not the same as identically. So you may have one person, you know, baby boomers in particular, the workaholics, the overachievers, they like to prove that they've done a good job, which means they love certificates. They like that wall of fame where they can say, oh, look, I got an award for this. Uh, They also like extra cash. So a bonus is a great motivator for a baby boomer. But your Gen Xers, they're the work-life balance generation. So they're much more likely to be motivated by time off. And then millennials value learning experiences unique to them. So they might value the opportunity to lead a new project work with some different people, or be sent to a conference. So three different groups of people and three different ways to provide rewards. Uh, My audience, what did I tell you when I started the session that you would walk away with some wonderful nuggets throughout this conversation with Jennifer and she has delivered big time today because there there is a trail of nuggets that you have left my the audience to hopefully act on and, and the call to action to my audience right now is this what three things find three takeaways from this conversation with Jennifer today that you can apply today in your work to begin to change things and then create a habit do that every single day Jennifer I, I thoroughly Cannot thank you enough for for taking time uh, to chat with me. Uh, You've uh, exceeded all expectations, as you always do. You're a great friend, a a great colleague. And how can my audience find you? If your audience would like to get in touch with me, if they're looking for a coach, a mentor, or even just have a quick question about something we talked about today, they can reach me via email at jelder at Sustainable CFO, or they can call me at 410-231-1881. And I'd love to have a conversation to help them figure out how they can take their career, their business to the next level and make it sustainable so that they don't burn out and that their organization will be there for the long haul. And Pete, thank you again. It's always great to talk with you. I always have fun and look forward to doing this again. Thank you very much, Jennifer. And that's Jay Elder at SustainableCFO.com. And she gave you her phone number. Reach out to her. I thank you all. I thank you again and look forward to speaking with everybody at my next episode. Thank you very much. Okay, Jennifer, before we end this interview, uh, I need to put you through the 10-question rapid-fire sequence so the audience can maybe get to know you just a little bit better. All righty. 
Are you ready? Start asking. I uh, am. Are you nervous? Never. Okay, then. We'll see how that ends. <laughs> but maybe I should be. <laughs> uh, I'll keep that one to myself. Okay, question number one. Yacht or condo? Yacht. Yacht. <laughs> vodka or wine? Oh, vodka, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you knew the answer to that one. <laughs> That's why I was laughing trying to get it out. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite city to visit? Oh, favorite city to visit? Uh, probably New Orleans. Uh, well, that's another thing we have in common. <laughs> Love New Orleans. Um, so much good food, good music, and good just drink. the architecture. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah, I love New Orleans. Um, spinach or kale? Is there a third option? <laughs> Neither. <laughs> None of the above. <laughs> now, I do like a spinach salad. Okay. I, I, I put that one in there because of the time we were at that Marriott in Bethesda when we were going to speak at the, the Marriott. You had kale chips for an appetizer. And oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and they did <laughs> yes. that. Somebody once said kale chips taste just like potato chips if you've never had potato chips. chips. <laughs> exactly. And I think you had an allergic reaction or something to the kale. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not good. That's not <laughs> high on my food list. <laughs> um, what's your favorite color? Oh, come on. That's an easy one. Red, closely followed by purple. Red, closely followed by purple. And you drive a Mustang, correct? Yes, and it is red. And your signature thing that you wear at all your speaking engagements is a... Red blazer. Bingo. Of course. of course. Of course, of course. Everybody knows the red lady. Uh-huh. Uh, here's one for you. The income statement or the statement of cash flows? Ooh. Yes and yes. That's a both. Yes to both. Well, they can't. I, I, like, I like making money, but I also like counting the pennies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I prefer to count dollars, but if you can't like counting pennies, that's, that's cool, too. Uh, uh, you know, if you, go ahead. I was going to say, if you uh, have it, the expression somebody gave me was if you take care of the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. Was that Ben Franklin that told you that? That might have been. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did get certified back when dinosaurs were roaming the earth. Ah, uh, yes, yes. And, and that's probably the last time I actually. The other day, I was walking through my house, and I looked down, and I this unusual sight. There was a penny on the floor. I can't tell you the last time I've seen a penny. Mm. Other than it actually on cost, the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cost the U.S. government more to make a penny than it's worth. That should say a lot about our federal government right there. Doesn't it, though? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question. What's your favorite movie? Oh, a uh, couple of them. One is an older movie uh, with Spencer Tracy. It's called An Affair to Remember. Okay. And then uh, Who Doesn't Love Tommy Boy? 
Oh, uh, <laughs> we went from a fair to remember to Tommy Boy. Absolutely. And then uh, in between is Russell Crowe and Master and Commander. I think you just defined the word diversity. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe you just have. Wow, that's and the, the Russell Crowe one was what was what? Master and Commander. I don't think I've seen that one, but I'll put that on my list for this long holiday weekend. Maybe to catch that. Um, Facebook or Twitter? Facebook. Microsoft Excel or your fingers and toes? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because we know that uh, CPAs are not good with math. (laughs) We add, we subtract, we multiply and divide, and all of that requires a calculator or Excel. Excel. So I would say Excel. Excel. (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) And and we do a little bit of algebra every now and then. Every now and then. Oh, all right, the last one, wrapping this thing up. One item on your bucket list. Outside of finishing my podcast, which was high up on that bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> high on my bucket list would be going to London. London, England or London, Kentucky? <laughs> I didn't know there was a London, Kentucky. <laughs> there's, there's also, London, England. There's also London, London, England, because I am the... Uh, first American in my family. I'm the anchor baby. Okay. And uh, my my parents, both my sisters, were from or are from England, and I have never been. Never? No. I would have thought that you've been. Wow. Probably wished I'd stayed there. No. If I went, wished I'd stayed there. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not right now with the Brexit. I, I think you might want to just stay here and. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till they get that all figured out and, and stuff over exactly. there. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I think my audience has a better picture of who Jennifer Elder is. And um, I, I just uh, hope you had fun doing the 10 rapid questions. Well, thank you very much, Pete. It did, I did have fun. And my question would be, what are your answers to those 10 questions? Uh, favorite city to visit? That's easy. That's New Orleans. Uh, I don't like vodka. I don't like wine. I'll throw in bourbon. Uh, I, I guess I'm a land guy, so I'd be more of a condo person. Uh, I like spinach. My favorite color is Kentucky blue, not Carolina blue, Kentucky blue. Uh, I prefer the cash flow statement because cash is king. Favorite movie, Birdcage, Robin Williams. Facebook, uh, I prefer my fingers and toes, but I can only go to 19. Uh, so I better I better work with Microsoft Excel. <laughs> and the one item on my bucket list, um, actually, I've really never thought about it that much. But I guess the one, I, oh, I wait a minute, <coughs> duh, yeah, the one item on my bucket list is a country that I want to go visit. I'm just afraid I'll never come back. It's called Australia. Mm, yeah, so. that would be next on my list of, of places to visit. After after England, then it's Australia. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all might. I'd love to go to Australia. Uh, it, it'll be way too much of, of a good time. Uh, but yeah, so, <laughs> so nobody's reversed me on the ten rapid questions. Wow! Thank you very much. Well, you know, your audience needs to get to know you too. <laughs> well, thank you. I, they probably get to know me a little bit, but uh, they probably know that. Thank you very much. I'm going to stop there. (laughs) Well, thank you, Pete, and good luck with the rest of your podcast. (laughs) Thank you. 
As I said at the end of the interview, Jennifer gave us a bunch of informational nuggets that I'm sure you can find three of them to begin to apply to your daily life. The three that I heard as it relates to improvisation are improvise and adapt to the new generation. It doesn't make it bad. It's just different. And by the way, I just read an article in the Journal of Accountancy titled Five Phrases Established Leaders Should Never Say Again. And this article talks about retaining the best and brightest. The article begins by saying that up-and-coming leaders have many career options. And their phones, emails, and LinkedIn accounts are being hit up every day by recruiters and others who are interested in potentially employing them. Adapting to your high performers is critical in retaining to them. I'll put a link to this article in the show notes. The second thing I heard, you're there to make your boss look good. Take the initiative and communicate with your boss and see how you can add value to their day. Now, this requires a yes-and approach, even with the simplest of tasks. And finally, accept your weaknesses, work with it, and be adaptable. Jennifer transposes numbers, and when she's a CFO, she made sure that she had a strong, detailed controller who works well with numbers with minimal mistakes, adaptability. Now, there are more nuggets, so I hope you wrote down your three biggest takeaways and start developing new habits. If you like this episode, please go to iTunes and write a review on my podcast. By writing a review helps promote the podcast to a larger audience. And remember to sign up for the SN Challenge on my website at petermargaritas.com. I've actually posted tweets using the hashtag YesNChallenge, so go check them out and add your own. Thank you again for taking time to listen to this podcast. In episode 12, I interviewed Brett Johnson, who's the Director of Channel Management and Development at the American Institute of CPAs. So until next time, use Yes and to make your boss look good and to excel in your career. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.